Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Let's look at God's Word. John chapter 14. We're looking at verses 1 through 7 as we study these I am statements in the Gospel of John. This morning, Jesus tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have a confession. Really, it's two confessions to make this morning. Um, You probably don't want to travel with me because I'm a very sentimental flyer. Um, There's something about, I don't know what it is, being jammed into a metal tube that's soaring through the air at 500 miles an hour, you know, at 35,000 feet, that causes me to feel all of my feelings. And I do. Uh, And it's messy sometimes. I'm a sentimental flyer. Because I'm a sentimental flyer, I have landing music. You know what I'm talking about? I'm probably the only person that does this, and I feel really embarrassed now. (laughs) I have landing music for when when you're about to land. I, I I want the right music for the moment. And actually, I use it when I fly back to North Carolina. That's the only time I use my my landing music. So, you know, you hear the ding of the bell and tray tables go up and seat backs go up and I grab my Bose headphones and I put them on and I flip through my phone and I turn on the Avid Brothers. It's their album, Emotionalism. It's the song, Selena. And as the wheels screech on the runway there in Asheville, North Carolina or Raleigh, I have Seth Avid in my ears and he's singing these lines. I'm changing plans that I've been setting on. I'm scared by the way my life is getting gone. Carolina, one day I'll, someday I'll come home. Carolina, one day I'll, someday I'll come home. It's a song about going home after you've been on the road for a long, long time. It's a song about missing home. This, this idea, the idea of home, is probably more powerful in a church like this than it is in a lot of other churches. Because almost all of you are not living home. And if you're like me, you actually think in the back of your mind, geez, I wonder if I'll ever actually go back home. For others of you, Home was not really home, because home was a place where you were manipulated, you were shamed, you experienced some trauma that you should probably join one of these restoration groups to talk through. When you experience those things at home, home isn't home. Rather, home is supposed to be a place where you're known and where you're loved and where you know that your story matters. 
Doesn't that sound nice? When I'm at the airport, part of the emotionalism of the whole thing for me is, is watching people go through security and that last moment where they say goodbye and they hug and they're crying and I'm crying. And it's just this, it's this moment, right? I told you I'm a total mess. This is the same kind of scene in John chapter 14. Because you know what Jesus is doing? He's saying to his disciples, hey guys, I'm leaving you. I'm about to go home. But I'm going there to prepare a home for you. And one day I will come back and it will be to bring you home. And so that's the context with all of the feelings in the air of leaving and saying goodbye and longing for home. That's the context where we get this I am statement from Jesus. Home is supposed to be a place where you're known and you're loved and you know that your story matters. And this is the reality for the Christian If you know Jesus, the way and the truth and the life, then you get that. Will you stand as I read John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7? Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Please be seated. The grass withers and the flowers, they fade, but the word of our God stands forever and ever. May he add his rich blessing to its preaching and its reading. Home. I've got you thinking about home. I'm right, aren't I? It's a place where you're known and where you're loved, and where you know that your story matters. Get this, the way God designed humanity, he designed humanity to flourish at home. He knows that home is a life-giving place. Think about it. How does the Bible begin? Adam and Eve are where? They're at home in the garden. And what are they experiencing? Well, they're experiencing shalom, peace, harmony, Because they're in tune with one another. They're in tune with their God. They're in tune with the creation itself. It's pure shalom until Genesis chapter 3 when they rebelled and were expelled from home. That was when they lost their way. That's when humanity lost its way. What is that like to lose your way? Um, I don't know if you know this, but one of the confessional documents that we use in our church here when we're examining elders, like Matt, you saw, he's one of our elder candidates that we just examined last week. We use the Heidelberg Confession, or the Heidelberg Catechism, rather. There's a section in that catechism that is called misery. There's a question in that section that asks something like this. How, how do humans know about their 
misery. And that's a weird thing to write, isn't it? That's a weird thing to put in a catechism, except when you remember that that was originally in German, and the German word for misery is, anybody? Elent. Elent. Elent means that state of being far away from your native land and experiencing a deep sense of homesickness. We lost our way, and we describe losing our way like homesickness. That feeling of losing our way and needing desperately to find the way to get back home. That's a troubling feeling. The disciples' hearts are troubled because Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, guys. I'm going home, and I'm not taking you with me right now. Jesus says in verses 4 to 5, You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, I love Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is so honest. Thomas is like, Jesus, okay, you're going home. Cool. Can you just drop me a pin when you get there, and I'll find the way. We'll get there. We'll make our way to you, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Thomas, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. The way isn't a path. I am the way. I am the way home to the Father, and you cannot get there unless you come through me. Jesus said earlier, I'm, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. What does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus is in heaven right now, like fluffing pillows and, and like doing the cool thing where you take the, the towel and you make it into a swan and it's sitting on the end of the bed? Is that what Jesus means when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, your heavenly home? No. By this point in time in the Gospel of John, we are moments away from Jesus' betrayal and death. And John wants us to think that the preparing the way, the home, is actually what Jesus is about to do in his crucifixion, in his resurrection, in his ascension. That is the preparing. Why? Because that's how lost we are. We have lost our way so badly that we cannot make our way home to be with God ourselves. Jesus is going to have to do it himself. And it's going to cost him his very life. So friends, Do you know the way? Do you know the way home? Do you know Jesus? Have you attached your life to Jesus by doing what Antonia has, repenting of your sins and saying, Jesus, I need you. You're my only hope. Please save me. That's the only way home. And he offers it to you this morning. Jesus is the way. Jesus is also the truth. Let's treat it like this. What is the truth about Jesus. Well, first, as you saw here, Jesus claims to be God. Jesus is God. That's the reason, actually, this whole thing works. That's the reason he can take us home, because he's divine. He says in verse 1, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, without getting into too much detail, boring theological stuff there, Jesus is equating himself with God. Thus, he is claiming to be God. And this is a shocking statement. Jesus, a man who lived and walked on the earth, who was born to a regular family, who had acne 
who learned the trade of his father. Jesus is God. What? If you have never wrestled with that truth, now's the time. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Sometimes what I notice in churches, what I notice about my own heart is that we get so insulated with other Christians around us. We're spending time with Christians and the Christian music and the whole thing that we sometimes forget what everybody else in the world actually believes about a statement like this. Jesus claims exclusively to be God. We forget that other people think that's kind of crazy. Um, I hope that you will spend more time with non-Christians than you spend with Christians, okay? Or non-religious people. Please, when you do and you ask them hard questions, you're going to hear an answer that goes something like this. If there is a God out there, whoever he, she, it is, then, well, all religions are basically the same and lead us to that God. So in our terms, Buddhism will get you home, as will Hinduism, as will Christianity and Judaism, and frankly, just being a good person, surely that will get you home. And you know what? To say otherwise is actually arrogant and exclusive and makes you into a bigot, which is a really dirty word today. Tim Keller talks a lot about this in his writing and in his ministry as a pastor in New York City. He says there's a few, there are a number of problems with this view that all religions basically point to the same God. One of the biggest problems is that the leaders of those religions don't actually believe it. He found himself on a panel, discussion panel, with a respected Jewish rabbi and a respected Muslim imam. And all three agreed with this statement. Listen to this. If Christians are right about Jesus being God then Muslims and Jews fail in serious ways to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or a prophet, well, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. All of them agree with that. None of them say, yeah, sure, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, we'll all get to the same place. None of them actually believe that. It can't be both. Jesus is either God or he's not God. This view that all religions point to the same God is typically promoted in a spirit of tolerance and the motivations are to respect all kinds of people from all kinds of places and traditions and I like that motive very, very much. But it actually has the opposite effect because what you end up doing is saying, if you believe that there is one way to God through Jesus, that Jesus is God, well, that makes you a right-wing extremist. And so anyone who has a conviction like that gets labeled like that. The other thing that is disrespectful is that it doesn't actually pay attention to the teachings of those religious traditions. It either waters them all down or it's just ignorant and therefore not respectful to people who follow those traditions. When it comes to Jesus claiming to be God, here's the truth. He's either right or he's wrong. I love the way C.S. Lewis frames this. He says, look, you got three choices. Jesus is either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's the Lord. 
Jesus claims to be God. He's either insane, a lunatic, living in some other reality that is not the reality you and I experience, or he is an absolute monster because he's intentionally led millions and millions of people astray throughout time in history, or he's right. And that's what Lewis believed. And if he's right, well, then what he says is true. And it's a matter of life and death, attaching yourself to him and following him. Regardless, please hear me say this lovingly. I mean it from a loving place, I promise. You cannot be a carefully thinking person and hold a neutral stance toward Jesus. You can't just be like, yeah, Jesus is great, fine, whatever, never hurt anybody, no big deal. No, either Jesus is an object of your pity or your hatred or your devotion and worship. Those are the only careful, logical options. And if you haven't before, I don't know where you're coming from. If you haven't before, please examine the evidence. Don't judge Jesus, please, by his church or by his people, because we're all a total wreck. Examine the evidence. Read the scriptures. See if this makes sense. Who is Jesus? Is he really God? Jesus claims to be God, and then he adds to that in verse 7. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm God, and also I'm here to reveal to you about my heavenly Father. It's not that we're the same person. No, we're different people in the Trinity. He doesn't say this, but we deduce this. We're different people, but... We are intimately connected, so much so that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, then you know the Father. He adds to it in verses 10 through 12 down beyond our passage. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. There's a lot there. Some of it is just this, they're different persons of the Trinity. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. But here's what I want you to notice. The Father is working in and through the Son. The Father has authority. And the reason that's important is because of what Jesus said there at the very end. Anyone who, or whoever believes in me will do the works that I am doing. You mean the works that were inspired and empowered by the Father? You mean that connecting myself to you, Jesus, connects me to the Father, and the Father is connected to me, and he's working through me? Wow. Suddenly, it feels like my connection to Jesus means that my story matters. Because my story is not just I live and I die and then that's it. People forget about me. I'm actually cooperating with the Holy Trinity in the restoration of all things. And so the stuff that I do matters and it matters eternally so. I want you to examine whether or not Christianity is true. I also want you to examine whether or not Christianity is real. Does that make you feel alive? The stuff that you will do this week has an eternal impact. Your story matters.
but are you known and loved? Are you known and loved? This is another way of asking the question, does following Jesus lead to the life that he claims to be? Everyone wants to be known and loved and to know that their story matters. Every single human heart beats for that. But if we don't feel known and we don't feel loved, then guess what it does to us? It really twists up the human experience because you have to go and make meaning for yourself. You've got to go and prove your own significance, that your story actually matters. And people like you and me will roll up our sleeves and we will slave to create meaning for ourselves. This is why some of the most famous, significant people in the world from a worldly perspective are empty on the inside because they never heard somebody look at them and say, oh, I know you, good stuff and bad stuff, and I love you no matter what, I'll never stop loving you. No, they're actually working so hard to get that from the rest of the world, and it's killing them. Elton John says it almost killed him. Elton John was giving a speech to some British university, um, and he started to talk about what it was like to grow up in a home with a father who never showed that Elton was known or loved or that his story mattered. This is what he said. He didn't hold me. He never told me he loved me. And he didn't come to see me perform. I was afraid of my father, and I was walking on eggshells the whole time trying to get his approval. I've spent the rest of my life trying to prove to my father that I was a success. He's been dead for years, and I'm still trying to prove it. You see how you can have purpose, and you can work really hard and do really big things, and you can be following a path toward death itself. I want to say this respectfully. Most major world religions have that shape. It's all about making the person in the sky, whether it's a force or a oneness or a person, making that satisfied with you. And so you work hard. You work as hard as you can and you prove that you're enough and you always do the right thing and you never do the wrong thing and you hope that when you do the wrong thing that you can make up for it yourself or maybe cover it up. And Elton John says that's the sort of pressure that led him to nearly drinking or drugging himself to death. And that is the reason he tells his sons every single day, I love you, I love you. Elton John lives in God's world. He may not identify himself as a Christian, but you know what? He's learned something about who God is and what the human heart is like, and it's that life is best lived when we are living under the warmth of the smile of our Father. All other major religions say, if you want to go home, it's up to you. you good luck. I hope, that, I hope you do it well. The Bible is this beautiful book. It's textured. It's complex. But the central message of the whole Bible is actually very simple. It's this. God the Father 
will never love you more or less than he already does in his son Jesus. God the Father will never love you more or less than he already does in his son Jesus. So please, make sure you are connected to him. This is what it's like, in case you're wondering, you've never heard, I know you and I love you from someone in your life. Jesus at his baptism, this is kind of his first big public event, the Father breaks into humanity and he says this, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And if you are connected to Jesus through repentance and faith, what he's done for you, the Father right now says the exact same thing about you. This is my daughter. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. It's amazing. How could that be? It's not because we've earned it and God has been like, oh, good job, you did it, finally, now you can have this. No, it's because Jesus earned it for us. He gave us his life, his perfection. And on the cross, he took all of our imperfection and all of the death that we have cultivated and that we deserve. The God of the universe, really, the God of the universe knows you, everything about you. And he loves you. And he'll never stop loving you. Love like that is life-giving. I would say that's the only kind of life-giving love there is, actually. It's freeing. You can make a mistake. God's not going to stop loving you. You can do something wrong and not have to hide or pretend like everything's okay. And you can be honest with what a mess you are and the things that you've messed up in your life. It's not based on your performance. You don't have to pretend. This is actually the fact that this sort of love is life-giving is why it is not bigotry for Jesus to say, I am the unique way, truth, life. It's like this when you teach your children to cross the street. You say, hey, turn this way, look that way, look that way, look back this way. If everything is clear, then you cross the street. We don't teach our children to just come up to the street and be like, hey, look, there are lots of ways to cross the street. Whatever, just go for it. That would be deeply unloving, wouldn't it? That would be deadly. Jesus says an exclusive thing that's hard to our cultural ears but it's the most loving thing he could tell us because life without Jesus is deadly. I told you that my, my landing music has been reserved exclusively for when the plane touches down in North Carolina. For whatever reason, nine and a half years almost of living here, I've never been able to listen to my landing music when I land in Bogota until a couple weeks ago. And it, the reason I did it a couple weeks ago is because I had this revelation. Home is not really about a place. It's about people, isn't it? Home is about that group of people who know you and love you and communicate that your story matters. And that's what you are to me. Home is not about a place. Uh, heaven, the new earth, it's not going to be so awesome just because it's a great place. It will be a great place. You know what will make heaven home? 
person. Jesus. Jesus is our home. That's actually what he's been trying to say in this passage. It's, it's, it's in there in verse 3 that he's going to take, he, he says, I will take you with me so that you also may be where I am. Why? Because Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, is our home. Home is not found in a place. It's found in our Savior, the way, the truth, the life, because Jesus is the only one who can really show us that we're known and that we're loved and that our stories matter. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this. This is beautiful. It warms our hearts, and yet we struggle to put it into practice. We struggle to believe it. Sometimes we want to soften it to make ourselves sound relevant. Would you please overwhelm us with your grace and your goodness, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we are a people who trust in you and who encourage others to trust in you, our true home. Would you free us with this good news that you love us no matter what. This we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.